Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, my fine friends. Welcome to the first episode of Season 8 of the Tom Petty Project Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Brown. This is the weekly podcast that digs into the entire Tom Petty catalogue, song by song, album by album, and includes conversations with musicians, fans, and people connected with Tom along the way. First of all, thanks for your patience waiting for this one. Um, my wife and I had a wonderful anniversary supper last week, and I just hadn't figured out my scheduling in advance. It was a lot of fun to go back and listen to the quick fire questions again to see what everyone picked as their favourite album, because I couldn't remember. And I think I'll do a few more of those recaps as bonus Friday episodes, maybe. Um, a quick note, too, that if you want to listen to me talk about Van Halen again, uh, I was a guest on And The Podcast Will Rock this past week. Um, I think that's my fourth or maybe fifth spot on there, but I just love hanging out with Corey and Mark and chatting about Van Halen. So if you want to check that out, I will leave a link in the episode notes. I was also a guest on the last two episodes of the fabulous Sean Geek and Fast Fret podcast, um, which is much more freeform. It's two brothers from Winnipeg. Oh, they live in Winnipeg now, uh, in Manitoba in Canada. And man, we talked about a million things. But of course, Tom Petty came up a few times during our chat and lots of other music um, came up as well. So again, I'll post links in the episode notes if you want to check out any of those other things that I'm on. Uh, this season, though, we're starting on arguably the biggest album in the Tom Petty canon, Full Moon Fever. And what better way to kick off this album than with the song that would come to define Tom Petty in the casual rock radio listener's mind, Free Fallin'. There's a two-year gap between the release of Let Me Up I've Had Enough in 1987 and Full Moon Fever in 1989. A very, very important gap. Because as every fan knows, it was during this hiatus in which the Heartbreakers were supposed to be enjoying some well-earned downtime that Tom got together with four other fairly well musicians to form a supergroup the likes of which has never been equaled. Bob Dylan, Jeff Lynne, Roy Orbison and that young fella from the Beatles, George, all got together on a whim to finish up a Harrison composition that was supposed to be a B-side for a single. But once handled with care was delivered to the record company, they knew it was too good to be a B-side, and the Wilburys would record 11 more songs, nine of which ended up becoming The Travelling Wilburys Volume 1. Lynn, Harrison, Orbison and Petty would be prolific during this period, all collaborating on songs for various artists as well as themselves, so it was a very natural transition for Tom to start writing with Jeff Lynn and for Full Moon Fever to be a very organic solo record to make. According to Tom, from several sources, Free Falling was born out of a very simple chord progression that he was playing for Jeff Lynne on a little electric keyboard that his roadie and confidant, Bugs Wydell, had purchased. Uh, in conversations with Tom Petty, Tom tells Paul Zolo, I really gave him hell about buying it. I said, why would you waste money on this? I would never play something like this. And he said, well, look, take it into the house. If you write one song on it, it will pay for itself. Now, in his wildest dreams, I don't think that Bugs would have imagined that the song that would come out of that wasted money would be the highest charting single in Tom's career. As Tom played the progression he'd come up with on the instrument, Jeff Lynne asked him to take out the last chord. With that change, Tom says he just improvised that first verse to try to make his friend laugh, which succeeded, and one of the all-time great pop songs was born. Tom plays guitars and sings, obviously, and Jeff Lynne plays the distinctive bass line. Uh, rounding out the musicians, Phil Jones, who had played percussion on several previous Heartbreakers records, sat in on drums, and Mike Campbell also plays guitar. In Warren Zane's biography, Petty, Mike says of his involvement with Tom's solo record, My friend brought me into the fold. He didn't have to. I got the call and I was in. I loved it from the very first day they showed up at the house. So this leads into the next part of the mythos of this album and this song. Rather than hire a lavish high-tech recording studio, once Tom and Jeff Lynne knew that they had something to work on, 
Tom called up Mike Campbell and asked if they could use his home studio, which, in Campbell's own words, was just a kitchen-sized bedroom with a mixing board and a tape machine. Jefflin is well known for his preference of recording in small spaces without reams of gadgetry and technology, and this might be the best example of this approach. Mike Campbell goes on to say, I really thought we were just cutting a demo. Again, this shows the very spontaneous and low-key approach that was used to record one of the greatest pop rock records of all time. Free Falling was, of course, a global hit for Tom Petty, but was actually the third single from Full Moon Fever after I Won't Bite Down, I'm Running Down a Dream. Released at the height of MTV's impact on modern music, Tom didn't disappoint with the brilliant animated video for Running Down a Dream before changing gears and making a gloriously Californian stoner video for Free Falling. That could as easily have been the backdrop for one of Beck's early career songs. Think about it. Okay, look, enough jabbering about the history of this one for now, but I'll definitely talk maybe a little bit more about, definitely maybe, <laughs> about the, uh, the, the end of the episode. So let's talk about the song. Fairly simple song, right? Shouldn't take too long to dissect this one, you'd think? Well, yes and no. There's so much going on in this track that it's easy to miss if you're just hearing it for the thousandth time in your life. But the subtlety starts right in the intro. Those opening five strummed chords, look, they're just beautiful. They're also really layered. It's actually two or probably even three, I think it's three guitars uh, playing similar but not identical parts uh, to get that very specific sound that they generate. In the left channel, you get a 12 string and probably a straight six string acoustic. But in that right channel, you hear a very different tone. And from watching Rick Beato's fantastic YouTube breakdown of this track, he says that the part in the right channel might be a Nashville-tuned guitar. Now, what the heck is a Nashville tuning, I hear you ask? Well, I didn't know either, so I had to look this up. But it's a neat trick that a lot of country artists use to get a very bright, clear treble tone. Instead of using the traditional copper-wound strings for the bottom bass strings on the guitar, they instead use the higher octave strings from a 12-string uh, pack. So these aren't wound copper, and obviously they pitch the entire note up an octave, to give it that very specific, very clear sound. Now, it might be that, or it could be an electric 12-string, because on the song, Mike Campbell is credited with playing electric, an electric 12-string. So, either or, either way, you're getting this really cool production happening on those simple five opening chords. You also have a very simple synth pad mixed down low, doubling the guitar progression, which provides, I think of it as a little sonic glue that you don't even realize is there. This five chord part is repeated twice with the bass coming in on the second repetition. The bass is played really high in the fretboard again to keep everything up in that trebly range. It drops down to the lower register as Tom starts to sing the verse, but that bass line will jump back up again at a specific part later in the song that we'll, we'll definitely talk about. And we also get those first lyrics that were initially intended only to make Jeff Lynne laugh, but are now completely iconic. She's a good girl, loves her mama, loves Jesus and America too. It's of course been parodied, you know, on SNL by Kevin Bacon. Um, the horses, horses, horses thing, and on The Simpsons, we're singing sort of an American song. So, you know, but it's all tongue-in-cheek and it's all very light-hearted. Uh, but as soon as you hear that line, your endorphins start kicking in in anticipation of the rest of the song. You know the verse is building to that big chorus and you're ready for it right away. So, as a drummer, myself, the drum part of this one is super simple, but it's again interesting because of how Jeff Lynn liked to blend all sorts of different instruments or recording styles to get a sound. So, so that tom fill into the second verse, beautiful, very clear. The kick and snare are definitely acoustic, but the hi-hat is a programmed click, almost definitely, so that's a drum machine. And Jeff Lynne would also quite often have drummers play each drum independently in order to get the best separation of sound with no bleed from one mic to another. Now, on a track like this, it would be easy to record the drums this way, so you just, you know, one pass through just playing the kick, one pass through just playing the snare, and then, you know, the, the, the drum rolled, the toms down to the snare, that would all be played live, but otherwise, you're getting this real sort of separation of sound so that it can be really, really clean. 
Now, I don't know if this one was actually assembled that way rather than played live, but I can tell you that it's a ton of fun to play, especially when it gets that breakdown after the solo. Love that bit. Um, once those drums kick in, the bass drops right down into its lowest register and plays a really cool line rather than simply sticking exactly to the root notes. One other thing that happens musically as we lead into the second verse is that jangly guitar part is playing a double-time strumming pattern to, to fill in the gaps. Again, this is two or three overdubbed guitars playing the same or very subtly different parts. And something as simple as, you know, changing the chord position or maybe not hitting the lowest bass note can change the way the part sounds. And those small choices are all over this track. There are lots of bass slides here that you don't necessarily hear clearly, but they add so much texture to that bottom end. I'll add a link actually to the isolated bass track to this one because it's super cool when you hear it, you know, set aside from the rest of the song. It's so simple yet so fluid. There isn't a huge push into the chorus here other than a drum fill that's very similar to the intro fill but expanded just slightly. And I'm free, free falling. It's again just one of those eternally classic lines in music history. And that line came from Jeff Lynne. Tom recounts to Paul Zolo, I got right up to the chorus bit and I didn't know what to sing and he, Jeff, said free falling. I tried to sing it but I couldn't get free falling to fit the line, so I just sang free. And then in the next line, I sang free falling. And for me, this is why Paul Zolo's book is so priceless. We get to peek all the way behind the curtain to find out how these songs were put together, how they were constructed. Sometimes we imagine that songs tumble out of an artist fully formed. Sometimes, like Wildflowers, they do. Sometimes they take a lot of work and a lot of wrestling with, like Mary Jane's Last Dance lyrically. And sometimes a little spur of the moment bit of inspiration will get you over the line, like singing free, free falling in this song. Tom goes on to say that Jeff had another suggestion for this section. He says, he perked up and said, that's good, that's great, but take your voice up an octave when you do it, when you get to the chorus. You know, seems like the most obvious thing in the world, but sometimes it's good to have that next pair of ears and that other brain to nudge you in the right direction, or just even a different direction that you might have taken yourself. The other thing to note about the chorus is that there's no change in the drum pattern at all, no change in the guitars, no change in the bass, other than maybe you hear the slides a little bit more in there. Um, the reason that the chorus soars is because Tom's voice soars. It soars above everything else. You get some delay on the falling and maybe a little bit of reverb in there, but the vocal for the most part all the way through this song is clean. Warren Zane's comments that you feel like Petty is sitting across the table from you, and Jeff Lynn quotes George Harrison saying, Tom's a lucky bugger because he's already got that twang built in. He's got a head start on us. And we've talked lots about this on this podcast, about how Tom would lean into or back off from that twang. Maybe Free Fallen isn't as twangy as you might think initially, certainly not one of the twangiest in Tom's catalogue, but it's sung with a very specific American accent. Yes, it's a California song, but it's still being sung by a Southern boy in the end. So one of the things that George Harrison was talking about there was that, you know, if he or Jeff Lynne, boys from industrial working class towns in England, tried to sing a song this way, it would sound a bit contrived and it just wouldn't work the same. That's why Petty has the edge on them. The next verse features another lovely little creative production decision, with Lynn's bass again going, you know, it's way up high in the fretboard to make this section sound a little spacier and roomier. He plays less, and he's stepping off the root notes again and playing the fifths and thirds of the chords, which makes that bass part so melodic. Again, we've had no real change to the guitars, and there are no fills to be found here. It's all resting on that superb vocal performance from Tom. We also have this brilliant thematic shift here where Tom isn't talking about the song's protagonist, the good girl, anymore. Now it's more general and somewhat abstract. All the vampires walking through the valley. You know, could be goths. They could be the revelers who only seem to come out onto the streets at night. Um, in a 2016 interview with Billboard magazine, Tom says that the studio was in the valley and I was driving from Beverly Hills to the valley and back every day. And on that drive, I just used to look at Ventura Boulevard. 
and life's great pageant was going up and down that street, and I tried to grab a little bit of these characters on the road, and it was kind of how I saw it. It's pretty true of that time and that era, I remember. Maybe it's still that way. I don't know. So this is Petty giving us LA life through the lens of his perspective and his experience and his creativity. And I think that's one of the reasons why this song is so enduring and so brilliant. It feels real because it is real for Tom. The way the words Ventura Boulevard are harmonized, big and fat, really punches home a, you know, an actual place and imprints that on your brain. Try as you might in your cover band, that line will never sound quite the same because of how those harmonies really elevate it. Into the second chorus, I think there's a little percussion here, possibly a very lightly shaken tambourine. Nothing else really changes, though, and all we need to do is revel in those simple, repeated words. We then head into the simplest solo Mike Campbell ever played. Again, there's no change to the rhythm or the instrumentation, but we can hear that wonderful descending lick followed by those harmonized vocals. The simple eight bars then leads us into maybe one of my favorite sections of any song ever written. As simple as this bridge is, it just changes the dynamic of the song entirely and punches the following chorus up to a completely different level. That double-time marching band drum part with the accents on the two and four is so distinctive. Then it's coupled with those harmony vocals in the background, and we haven't had Tom singing lead with any harmonies uh, behind it up to this point, so it's another subtle little change. The bass is up high again to leave the bottom end wide open, and the guitars are dialed back in the mix and are played the same way they are in the intro, to again leave way more space. And space is important here because Tom is singing about gliding down over Mulholland. I want to write her name in the sky. So after our little vampiric excursion, our good girl is back in the frame. Coming out of this bridge, we get that gentle push on the drums with a snare and tom build that is utterly sublime and so completely perfect for this song. <laughs> Okay, folks, it's time for some petty trivia. So your last question from last season was this. What billboard chart position did Let Me Up, I've Had Enough peak at in the US? Of course, it's the US. That's where the billboard chart is, Kevin. Come on. Was it A, 20, B, 17, C, 11, or D, 34? The answer is and was 20. So following four consecutive top 10 albums, Let Me Up, yeah, it didn't really leave much of a mark on the charts. Even the singles didn't have that much impact, with Jamming Me hitting number 18 on the Billboard chart and number one on the Rock chart, but none of the other singles charting on the Hot 100. Runaway Trains did hit number six on the Rock chart, all mixed up, reached number 19, and Think About Me hit 36, but it's not the most successful record in Tom's catalogue to this point. Of course, massive chart success was just around the corner, but you can see why Tom thought a change was needed to freshen up his approach. Your question for this week is this. Westside Pavilion, which is the mall featured in the video for Free Fallin, is now named Westside One and used mainly to house which tech giant? Is it A, Microsoft, B, IBM, C, Google, or D, Amazon? Okay, back to the song. The bridge leads us out into the chorus again, but now we have Tom's lead being joined by that backing, harmonized vocal line. And in most songs, you'd expect that this would be the end, and we'd fade out over that repeated chorus. But Tom and Jeff 
have one more little trick up their sleeves, and we drop all the guitars out and let, I mean, I would guess it's Mike Campbell, play that super simple, slightly crunchy guitar lick over top of the drums and percussion, with the harmony vocals coming in for the third and fourth bars. Then we get the fade out we expected at the 320 mark. Now, I love how the band finishes the song live, and I'll include a live version uh, in the episode notes, but this is one song that I think it sort of has to have a fade out on, you know, on the recorded version, because it's Tom free-falling out into nothing and leaving this world behind. I've quoted Warren Zane's biography and, of course, my Bible, Paul Zolo's indispensable conversations with Tom Petty, but I also wanted to shout out John Scott's book at this point, because he tells the tale of Tom calling him up about the new record he'd recorded and wanting to hear his opinion about it. In Tom Petty and Me, John recalls that after smoking a joint outside with Tom and catching up on life, as they usually did, um, they headed back inside, and he says, I took my preferred seat on the floor and centred myself in front of the massive speakers as Tom put the demo vinyl on the turntable. Per Tom's listening preferences, he cranked the volume up to max and free falling started to blast from the speakers. He then goes on to sum up how this song makes me feel better than maybe I could myself. He says, I swear I could feel myself flying and gliding above Mulholland Drive, soaring down, spreading my wings like a bird, catching a current of air, pushing me west, down Ventura Boulevard. That's beautiful, John. And man, can you imagine sitting in Tom Petty's house? in front of his stereo, listening to this vinyl, this demo vinyl for the first time. Holy moly. Now, from what we've heard from Tom and from Jeff Lynne, the lyrics to this one flowed pretty naturally, and I doubt that a ton of agonizing over them happened. As Tom states about this period of writing, the exciting thing was to get a song done more or less in a day. But us listeners can layer our own experiences over top of someone else's words and find different meaning. And it's the last lines of that bridge are the ones that resonate with me the most, always. I'm going to free fall out into nothing, going to leave this world for a while. Now, this is exactly what great music does to me. It takes me out of my body and out into the creative ether. It helps me let go of anxiety or sadness or anger or grief and just soar on the music. Now, I know that not everyone has that experience with music, but it's, you know, it's like a drug in a lot of ways. It alters your mood, changes your perception, and allows you to truly escape to a place that no one and nothing else matters. That's a powerful thing, and Petty provided the perfect door into that world for me with this song. The song was played live almost every time, obviously, the the band played after the release of Full Moon Fever, including every single date of the 40th anniversary tour. According to Setlist.fm, it's been covered over 2,500 times by 303 different artists, many of whom are Tom Petty tribute acts. Um, But among the better known artists to have played it live, you'll find Fleetwood Mac, Tony Hadley from Spandau Ballet, uh, John Mayer, of course, Fleetwood Mac, Train, uh, and Stevie Nicks. Now, lots of different musicians there, hey, and lots of ways to interpret this song. And I do love John Mayer's version, but of course, Nothing ever gets really close to the original, and it's one of Tom's most beloved for a very good reason. Okay, Petty Heads, that's it for this week. Um, One of my listeners, Bob Reedy, who I've become online friends with, often posts about various artists or albums that he listens to and almost always remarks when a song is good, but it's overplayed. Now, I do understand that sentiment, but I don't suffer from it that much, or certainly not as acutely as I think some people do, because I never listen to the radio. Free Fallen's been probably played a few million times in my lifetime. Uh, I'm fairly sure it's the Tom Petty song I've heard the most, because, you know, even though I don't listen to the radio, I still go to the store, I still go to the doctors, so it will crop up. It'll also crop up in movies and TV shows, you know, very famously, of course, in Jerry Maguire. But for me, it's one of those songs that never gets boring. I never get sick of it. I never skip it. And I love it a little bit more every time I hear it. For me, it's as perfect a pop song as has ever been written. 
Now, I don't know how many Tom Petty fans would say that this is their favorite song because we hardcore nerds tend to gravitate toward deeper cuts, but Free Fallen is one of the easiest 10 out of 10s in the entire catalog, and I would be surprised if any of you feel any different. You know what I'll do, though? I think I'll start throwing up a Twitter poll to get your feedback on that and how you'd rate the song. So prepare for a backlash if you give this one a low score. The Tom Petty Project is a proud member of the Deep Dive Podcast Network. Go check them out, folks, on Twitter at Deep Dive Podnet. I'm sure you'll find something there that you enjoy. You can also check out my other podcast, Seaside Pod Review, a Queen podcast on the same network. I'm also starting another podcast, folks, with my friend Corey Morissette from the Van Halen Show. Um, and I'll have more details about that in a couple of weeks. So sorry in advance to Paul Roberts. I know you like my rambling, so I'm going to be adding to your listening list. Don't forget to follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at The Tom Petty Project and on Twitter at Tom Petty Project. Go follow, like, subscribe as applicable, blah, 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 blah. Leave a rating, leave a review if you haven't already. That's awesome if you do that. Thank you. Um, keep talking to me on social media. Um, and yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk. We'll talk. Talk to me. The Tom Petty Project is not affiliated with the Tom Petty Estate in any way. And when you're looking for Tom's music, please visit the official YouTube channel first to try to find what you're looking for and go to tompetty.com for official merchandise. You can also check out tompettyproject.com for Tom Petty Project merchandise. It's not official. It's not sanctioned. There's no Tom Petty name on it. There's no Tom Petty images on it. But it's a bunch of stuff that sort of taps into the lore and some of the lyrics of Tom's music. So go check that out if you like. Don't forget to check out the Tom Petty Nation and Tom Petty Fans Forever groups on Facebook if you are not already a member. Um, they're great fan communities. There's a lot of really, really good people there. Um, they're well worth your time. Uh, until we meet again next week, keep listening to and sharing Tom's music. Try to be kind. Try to say I love you to someone at least once a day. Stay safe and healthy. And I'll be back with you next week to talk about the second track from Full Moon Fever. The anthemic, I won't back down. Bye-bye.